Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I know you are here wanting to change and rewrite your story. You are desiring to step into the impact that you know you were here to create. I am here to guide you with the proven tools and strategies used by myself and our speakers to support you in taking radical responsibility in your life and learning how to own your choices to change your story. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg. I am a storytelling business coach, master NLP trainer, speaker, podcaster, and seven times published author. My clients have found freedom and purpose from overcoming their shame stories and learning how to share them with the world. I am so grateful you are here. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. Today you are in for a treat. We are speaking with CEO, founder, and master instructor, Dave Albin. Dave is here to talk all about if you want to change your life, you change your story first. He is going to openly, vulnerably share so many powerful parts of his story, including firewalking, how it changed his life, how it led him to work with Tony Robbins for over two decades, and then on to run his own firewalk adventures for business owners, executives, entrepreneurs, and to train people in how to do firewalking. Love, love, love this conversation. Dave shares openly about his experience of dealing with years of addiction, his sobriety journey, how he woke up one day and said no more. And he openly went into sobriety, conditioned himself to focus and live in gratitude. Through that, so many different opportunities opened up for him throughout the years, and he gives it back in such a beautiful way. We have such a powerful conversation all about fulfillment and gratitude and fear and overcoming fear and what we're here to do, what difference we can all make in this world. He has gone on to speak with a number of different associations, gigs for NASA, Hennekin, the Entrepreneurs Association, Remax, Chick-fil-A, Prove It, Google, Chiropractic Association, Wayne Dyer, T. Harbecker, Tony Robbins, and so many others. This is such, he's such an incredible storyteller and speaker, and I'm so grateful that I get to share his story with you. So honestly, get ready. This is a fantastic episode. Hello, Dave. Nice to meet you. Hi, Marsha. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. So you have a big story, but I want to start with first, what is a firewalker? Other than the obvious, tell me all about it. Uh, well, I mean, if you if you research it, right, the, the act of the firewalk of walking across hot coals has been around for hundreds of years. Now, I've heard it's been around for over a thousand, but let's just go with hundreds of years. So culturally, you can look at all kinds of different uh, countries and tribes that have been using it. Uh, the Tahitians, for example, handle fire, right? They actually hand it in a circle and they'll pass it around uh, and, of course, walk on it. Um, the people of India, oh my gosh, they've really mastered it. They use it for everything. They use it for graduations. They use it for weddings. They use it for the birth of a, uh, of a child. So they use it, you know, again, for a whole lot of different rite of passage uh, experiences. Uh, the Indo-Europeans, years and years and years ago, the warriors, before they went into battle, they would always do a firewalk. And if you didn't do your firewalk, 
you dishonored your family because they wouldn't let you even go to war um, as a warrior uh, if you didn't firewalk. I mean, firewalking's ever been even been used to see if you're lying, uh, right? So that, that's wow. interesting. The Polynesians, oh yeah, absolutely. The Hawaiians, yeah. uh, the Native American Indians. I mean, it's been around a long, long time. And of course, the reason we know about it here in the West is. You know Tony Robbins, obviously mm -hmm. Tony. Tony brought it to the uh, mainstream and uh, has used it because he knows that the experience itself is literally probably one of the most life-changing uh, paradigm shift experiences any human can can go through. So there it is in a nutshell. So one of the most life-changing paradigm shifting experiences that somebody can go through. Absolutely. And yeah. I'm saying that's what happened for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sure did. Yeah, it rocked my world. Um, well, so what happened was is that um, I um, I got sober many years ago. Um, on June 8th of 1988, I woke up that particular morning, and it, was, it wasn't really all that much different than any other morning except that this, you know, I just got tired of the pain. I was in so much physical and emotional pain that I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And uh, luckily, I was married to a woman who had three kids, and they were my stepkids. And uh, I'm living in the basement. They're living upstairs. And I'm like, so that's it. We're done. And so the only real idea I had in that moment was to commit suicide. And so I loaded the pistol with the intention of doing that. And then as I, it dawns on me as I'm getting ready to do this, I'm like, you know, you can't do that to those kids. Yeah, when you pull the trigger, you're done, right? You're dead. But who you're killing are those kids because they got to live with that. Uh, you know, the cops are coming, the morgue's coming, the newspapers are coming. It's going to permeate through school all around the neighborhood. I mean, oh, my gosh, what a horrible, horrible thing to do to those kids. You can't do that. Figure out another way. And so the next thing I, I'm rustling with this, right? It's a real struggle. It's pretty intense. And um, the next thing I know, I've got a thought in my head, call Alcoholics Anonymous. But you know what, Marsha? You know what's interesting about that thought? I didn't, where'd it come from? And I say that because I didn't know anybody in AA. I'd never been to AA. I didn't know anything about them. But yet there was the thought. And so I did. I, I called Alcoholics Anonymous. And I got this wonderful woman on the phone. Uh, she saved my life, no question about it. I've, I've affectionately nicknamed her Madge over the years. And the reason it's because she talked like this. <laughs> she, I think she probably smoked two packs of Palm Oil non-filters a day. And so, but man, she was a wonderful human and she was kicking my butt. You know, the bottom line is she's the gatekeeper, right? Mm -hmm. So she's the one who's going to make a decision whether she calls someone to come pick you up. And so apparently I must have done a pretty good job of convincing her that I was a pretty sick kid. And she called this wonderful man named Lauren and he got there picked me up that morning and took me to my first AA meeting. And he stayed with me all day. Wow. He literally got me there and I attended a 1230, a 430, a 630 and an 830 meeting. And, and it was, uh, it was an all men's group. And uh, what they did that first day is they took a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, a third edition. And they, uh, on the front page of the book, they, they wrote, before you take that first drink, call one of us. And so they put their first name and their phone number and they gave it to me and they sent me home. Um, and then eight o'clock the next morning, I get a call, my phone rings and it's John from AA. And he's a real enthusiastic guy. Sweet, really a sweet, sweet guy. And he's like, Hey Dave, good morning. How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm like, how do you think I'm feeling? 
I'm out of my mind. You know, I want to kill somebody. And I might start with you, pal. <laughs> He's like, yeah, 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 Dave, I hear you. He said, hey, man, listen, you know, we talked last night. I know you live right around the corner from me. Let me come pick you up. Let's go to breakfast and I'll take you to a meeting. And Marcia, that's how it started. These men reached out to me, grabbed a hold of me, and they took extremely good care of me. Because at that moment, when I got to AA, I was grossly addicted to alcohol and drugs, cocaine and heroin. So it was really, really, really intense. And so one day turned into two, and two days turned into a week. And, it, and once I got to a month, they gave me one of these. Mm -hmm. It's a chip. It said 30 days of continuous sobriety. Then they gave me another one at two months, and another one at three months, and six months, and nine months, and one year. And of course, that this last June 8, 2023, that was my 35th year of continuous sobriety. So what happened is that while I was getting sober, the personal development industry showed up in my life. And the way it did that was I was up late at night all the time because I had insomnia. <laughs> and so there I am, you know, three o'clock in the morning, you know, watching, watching television. And there he is, the, the infomercial king himself, uh -huh. a young Tony Robbins, right? There he is selling his program called Personal Power. Uh, a 30-day program for total success is what he said. And you know what, Marcia, I didn't even like the guy. I couldn't stand him. I thought he was pompous. He's all motivated. And, you know, and I'm not motivated to say the least, right? Um, but he said a couple of things that really got me. Uh, the first thing he said is, we'll do more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. Well, hell, that's why I used alcohol and drugs. I was either trying to chase pleasure or avoid pain, right? Yeah. So that made that resonated with me. But what he really got me on was the driving force in our life is we make decisions out of inspiration or desperation. And that got me. And so I broke out my American Express card and, and I bought this program and they sent it to me, it came in a big old box and it came on these little white things called cassette tapes. Remember, I had them. <laughs> Right. Uh, how many of your audience are going to not even have a clue what those are? Well, yeah, I have a, all ages here. I definitely have all ages, but I know exactly. And I remember seeing those infomercials. I do. Right? Yeah. yeah I, do. I mean, yeah. he owned the airways back then. A lot of people thought it was a show. Mm -hmm. They thought, hey, Tony Robbins, is, you know, here's the next uh, here's the next episode of Tony Robbins. So, you know, I plugged in the tapes. I did what the man taught me to do and it worked. Bottom line, it worked. And I started making a lot of changes. I was in a horrible marriage. I, so I started my exit strategy there. I started exercising. I started working out. Um, I started losing weight. I started a, a really cool business. It was a chauffeur school right out of Washington, D.C. So I, I was making a lot of changes. And this is in addition <clears throat> to working AA one day at a time, right? Well, one of my good buddies is watching me. And he's like, dude, what's going on with you? Look, you look great. You lost weight. You started that business. You're real positive, very encouraging. What's going on? And I go, well, you know, I've been listening to this guy named Tony Robbins. He goes, I know who Tony Robbins is. I've got his book. He goes, but I didn't read it. Yeah. <laughs> well, what a concept, right? And I said, well, look, I've got his program. And, and I'll loan it to you, but you've got to promise me you'll go through it. He goes, I promise. And so I loaned it to him. This is all happening in 1988 when I got sober, right? 88, 89. Well, seven years later, my phone rings. Guess who it is? It's my buddy, Dan. And he said, hey, did you know that Tony Robbins is coming to town? And I said, no, I had no idea. And he goes, oh, dude, come on. 
we got to go. You got me into this. Let's go see him. And I said, well, what is it? I go, okay, I can go. And he goes, great. That's all I needed to hear. I'll call you right back. And so he calls me back like an hour later and he goes, done. Mm. We pick up the tickets that we'll call. And here's what they told us to do. Number one, bring snacks. And the reason for that is you're going to spend a lot of time in the room. <laughs> Long days. Long yeah, days. right. Yeah. Anybody that's listening that's been to Tony Robbins seminar knows exactly what we're talking yeah. about. Uh, bring water, hydrate, drink a lot of water, stay hydrated throughout the entire weekend, four-day event. He said, to bring a good attitude and be ready to play full out. I said, Dan, how much was the ticket? He said, $695. And I went, $700? This is in 1995. <laughs> what, what's that worth today? Uh, $7.3 million? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, buy Bitcoin with it, for God's sakes, right? So... The day comes. We get to the event. Oh, let me back up. <laughs> Left out one small important part. As he's telling me, he did the same thing. He goes, hey, man, I almost forgot to tell you. We're going to be doing a fire walk. <laughs> and I'm like, and this is all going through my head. I'm not saying anything, but I'm going, oh, hell no. You're out your mind. Because I didn't even know what a fire walk was. It's but it didn't sound like it. Right? So, but fear is controlling my life. Yep. It's been controlling my life for years, and this is no different. So fire, walk, no, nope, doesn't sound like anything I want to do. I want to see Tony. I'm good with all that, but we'll leave that for the crazy people. You know, I'll just watch. Yeah. Well, the big day comes. We get there. Tony takes the stage at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Next thing I know, it's after midnight. <laughs> Ten hours in a room with Tony Robbins. You know, back to the idea, bring snacks or you'll starve to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next thing I know, right, Tony goes, take your shoes off. And I went, oh, no, 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 no. I see where you're going with that, pal. You're not tricking me. I'm not taking my shoes off because I'm not doing it mm-hmm. all the way through 10 hours. No, I'm not doing it. I'll just go watch. And uh, and so I got a dilemma because now I'm watching 3,500 people at this event. They're taking their shoes off. And I'm almost like, people, no, you're falling for it. Don't go towards the light. You know, don't do this. Well, now they're all taking their shoes off. So now my dilemma is, what am I going to do? Am I not going to take my shoes off and walk out there with 3,500 people with my shoes on? They're all going to point at me and look at me. I'm going, no, you can't have that. It's like, okay, just relax. Just take your shoes off. And when you get out there, go hide in the back. No one is going to know. Well, except for me. (laughs) Except for me. Yeah, right. And so it gets worse because as soon as he starts taking everybody out into this big parking lot before we leave the room, he's got everybody chanting and clapping. So now you've got 3,500 people going, yes, 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 right? And I'm thinking, oh, you've got to be kidding. And I'm walking out there doing the opposite. I'm walking out there going, nope, uh uh-uh, ain't going to happen. I don't think so. And uh, it gets worse because when you get out there, into this big giant parking lot where you firewalk 3,500 people, he's got African drummers. And so now everybody's clapping and chanting, and it's dun, 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 dun. And, and you get out there, and I mean, what a dog and pony show, Marshall. I mean, it's, it's insane, right? Nothing like it on earth that I've ever witnessed or been a part of. Well, so I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I plan, I, I walk out, I'm going to, I move all the way to the back, right? Where nobody's going to see me. Well, also over in the corner, they've got a giant fire. 
It's been burning all day. It's huge. It's probably 30 feet wide, 70 feet long. And they've been loading wood on it all day. And it, at, at the end of the evening, after midnight, it renders. Right? So you have this giant, beautiful, gorgeous pile of blue flame coals. So how do you firewalk 3,500 people? Well, you take a whole bunch of wheelbarrows over to that big pit. You load them into the coals into the wheelbarrow. Then you bring a wheelbarrow in between two lanes of sod, of grass. It's probably, you know, the lanes, the fire lane is three feet wide, 15 to 18 feet long. And then they just take a shovel and they sprinkle those coals on top of that grass. That's what you walk on. Well, again, I'm in the back. I'm having none of it. Well, Tony Robbins knows that the firewalk is literally one of the most life-changing experiences any human will go through. The paradigm shift is in that experience. So he knows there's people like me. He knows we're hiding out. He knows where we are. So what's he do? He trains his people to come find you, right? So I'm sitting back there thinking I got it all figured out. Here comes this guy out of nowhere. And he makes eye contact with me. And, and I think Tony probably trains them. You know, once you make an eye contact with these people, don't take your eyes off. Of them. Mm -hmm. And so he gets about 20 feet from me. And now he's looking at me really funny. Like, he goes like, are you okay? <laughs> and when we're not okay, what do we say? We lie. Oh, I'm fine. All good here. Nothing to see. You know, move along, sport. And all of a sudden, this guy goes, hey, man, so are you going to walk tonight? And I go, absolutely not. And he goes, hey, man, that's cool. I said it with some intensity, if you will. And, and he says, hey, man, that's not a problem. He said, listen, man, we don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. And I went, wow, okay. I like the sound of that. And then this stranger, who, by the way, I do not know who this stranger is to this day. I really do. I wish I knew. Because that man changed my life and put me in a position to change a lot of other people's lives. Because the question he asked me was, well, wouldn't you at least like to watch? And I said, I'm thinking, well, yeah, sure. Let's go watch these people burn their feet off. That'll be entertaining. And he said, well, hey, man, you, you're not going to be able to see anything from way back here. I'm 100 yards away. At this point, it, it's going on, Marcia. The drums are going. People are clapping. People are already firewalking. They're already in the celebration end of the, of, of, the, of the lane. They're jumping up and down and screaming and yelling and, and, and celebrating. I mean, again, it's unlike anything you've ever imagined in your life. So I, I, I'm like, okay, well, you know, that makes sense. So I do want to see it. So I get in line. I get in line. I get in, you know, behind. Well, I got 3,000 people in front of me. I can't see anything. Well, I'm kind of walking along and walking along. And all of a sudden, this guy comes up to me. And he whispers in my ear. And he says, he knows when you're ready. When he says go, you go. And then, pew, he just disappeared into the night. And I'm like, what was that? What was that about? That's really bizarre. And so I'm walking along, I'm walking along. And the next thing I know, again, I got hundreds of people in front of me. I can't see anything. I can hear it. It's loud. It's intense. But I get to a point where I can see at an angle. And I get to a point and I can see them. And they're doing it. I mean, every race, every creed, every color. And now I'm just mesmerized. I'm just staring at this, right? It's kind of like... Um, you know, you see a car accident, right? You're not supposed to watch it, look at it, but you stare at it anyway. Well, that's kind of how it felt. I could not stop watching it. And I'm watching it, and I'm watching it, and I'm moving along, and the next thing, boom, guess where I am? I'm at the front of the line. And I'm looking down, 
and I'm looking at that fire lane, you know, it's three feet wide, 15, 18 feet long, and the coals are on top of it. And they're glowing bright red. I mean, it's not like you can't see them. And there's a wheelbarrow there, and you can feel the heat coming off, and I'm out of my mind. I'm scared to death. My heart's pounding so hard, I feel like it's going to jump out of my chest. And all of a sudden, as I'm staring into the abyss, there's a trainer standing right there. And he goes, eyes up. And I'm like, oh, shoot, he's talking to me. Oh, okay, that's right. Eyes up. Yeah, I was in a room with Tony for 10 hours. Guess what he taught us? Keep your eyes up. Don't stare at what you fear. Okay, I got it. I'm a little slow. And all of a sudden, he said, squeeze your fist and say yes. And I went, yes. And he went, stronger. And I went, yes. And he could tell. He's doing this all the time. He knew I wasn't in a peak state. He knew I was leaving a light on the lot on the table. And so he screamed at me, like in my face, stronger. And I threw my hands in the air and screamed as loud as I could. And he goes, go, go, go. Poo. I took off. Well, remember the guy that came up to me? He said, he knows when you're ready. When he says go, you go. And I went. Well, here's the first thing I learned about firewalking. When you take the first step, Oh, I'll guarantee you, you'll take the second, third, fourth, and fifth. I would have walked all the way to Albuquerque at that point, but Tony stages two people at the end of the lane, and they they grip arms, and they catch you, and they stop you. And they're like, stop, wipe your feet, and celebrate. And so I'm wiping my feet, and I'm celebrating, and I'm jumping up and down. Everybody's celebrating, and all of a sudden, it dawns on me, oh, my gosh, I can feel it. I burnt myself really, really bad. And I look at my foot, and it's dirty, but there's no burns. Oh, it's my other foot. Yeah, same thing. It's dirty, but there's no burns. I just walked across coals that are 1,000 degrees. And you know what? I didn't have a clue how I did it. None. Zero. But I'd done it. Ever done that? Ever done something really cool, really awesome? But you don't even know how you did it, but you take credit for it. Right? You're like, yep, that was me. That's this guy right here. I did that, right? Well... You're now down on the other side where everybody is celebrating, and it's crazy. I mean, the, the, the sense of exhilaration, the sense of accomplishment, and like, you know, you can do anything at that moment. That's what you're feeling. It's like, okay, where's the bus? You know, taking us to, let's go climb Mount Everest, guys. We got this, right? Well, here's where it got really, really interesting for me and how I got to where I am today. And that was the next day. Right. This is a four day event. That was day one, the night of. Now we're on day two. And uh, there we are, 3,500 people standing in the foyer getting ready to go into the venue to start day two. It was interesting. I didn't see, it didn't seem like anybody was late. <laughs> Everybody was on time. Everybody is there, excited. You know, their self confidence, their self belief, their self worth had been elevated. And I'm watching it. Right. And I've never to this day seen anything like it in my life. Because people were treating each other with such kindness and humanistically. It was so beautiful and so gorgeous to watch. They're laughing. Some are crying. They're talking about the firewalk. They're talking about their lives. And they're talking about how fear has dominated them. And I mean, it was, it was just unbelievable. Well, later on in the event, I met one of Tony's trainers, a guy by the name of Ted Macy. Super, super great guy. Him and his wife were both trainers for Tony. And I'm talking to Ted, and we're having this great conversation. And I, I, I mentioned, I said, you know, it must be really great 
to be able to come and be part of this and be around all this encouragement and, 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 you know, this motivation and inspiration. He goes, Oh yeah, I get to do it several times a year. Absolutely. And he goes, as a matter of fact, he goes, you see all those people over there with the black shirts, with the pink writing on them. Yeah. He goes, they're all volunteers, man. They're just like you. They came to a firewalk and volunteer to come back and help us facilitate these events. He said, so if you want to look into that, when you get home, call Robin's research, they'll send you an application, fill it out, send it back. I went and I did. Well, like nine weeks later, I get a letter in the mail and it says, Dave Alvin, congratulations. You've been selected a crew with the Anthony Robbins companies in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Well, guess what? <laughs> My foot's in the door. And so they take your application and what they do with that is they determine how they're going to, what jobs are going to give you type of a thing. So I've got a security background and I've got a military background. So they said, hey, you know what? We could put him on the security detail to help take care of Tony's celebrities. So they did. And then because I lived on a farm, I knew how to use tools. I knew how to use a tractor. I knew how to use a log splitter. They put me on the fire team, which is exactly where I wanted to be. So I crewed like five or six times. Now, when I when you crew with them, you pay all your expenses, right? You're paying your airfare, you're paying your hotel, your food, your, you know, all your travel expenses. Well, my wife isn't too thrilled about this. She's like, who the hell is this Tony Robbins guy that my husband's spending $2,000 every time he wants to go, you know, crew with this guy, right? Because she doesn't know anything about him. She's never been to events. She knows nothing. So after... I think five or six times they offered me a subcontractor's position where they paid my way. They paid my hotel, they paid my food, per diem, all of it. So I went from spending two grand to spending zero. And uh, they gave me a free ticket and I got to bring my wife and she got to go. And I'll never forget the moment after she, you know, after the event was over, we took a walk on the beach and we're talking and she said, I get it. I get it. Okay. I'm, I drank the Kool-Aid. It's all good. You want to go with this guy? You want to run with this guy? Run with him. I understand why you're doing it. It's who you are. And uh, we had met in AA, my wife and I, right? So she knew that I was a gatekeeper. She knew I loved to help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. So she understood pretty clearly why I wanted to get involved with Tony's companies. And so that was all happening in 95, 96, 97. Um, and then in 2003, Tony offered me the captain's position. And so what that meant was I would take over all of his firewalks globally. Now, I originally said no because I homeschool my kids and I didn't want to take myself away because I'm part of their education. I'm one of their teachers, right? And so they stepped right up and said, hey, what if we pay to have your family travel with us? Would that make a difference? <laughs> yeah, it just might make a difference, right? Take your kids on the road with Tony Robbins all over the world. Wow. Um, How old were so you this time? How old were the kids? Uh, let's see. Uh, my daughter was around six and my son was nine. I just, I can just imagine being exposed to that, like that environment at that age, what that would have been like. This oh is, my gosh. yeah. Like just, I mean, sorry to any teachers who are listening, but like way more powerful than like a school classroom. Sorry. Well, that's well, just it. Yeah. Guess where their first event was? Sydney, Australia. So now they're learning culture. We've yeah. got a great curriculum. The curriculum was the Robinson curriculum. So basically how it worked it, it said, you want to find the answer? It's in the book. Go find it. So my kids today can find and research anything. 
<laughs> well, it's resourceful, right? It's resourceful. Yeah. And I and there's nothing wrong with being resourceful. We're in this state no. where, you know, we want to create more resourceful adults. So I think that's exactly it. Oh my gosh, I have so many questions, and I sorry, I just want to ask Go. you. Absolutely, like, I, I get do it. because there's so much there. Um, I honestly, firsthand, will say, like in some of my lowest times, it was Tony Robbins' work that made the difference for me. It was oh, nice. like, definitely. I didn't understand. I mean, I'm an NLP trainer now. I did not know I was learning NLP when I was like really devouring everything Tony Robbins ten years Understood. ago. Like ten, I really devoured it like ten years ago. I was reading it long before that. Um, and I do know that, like, for anybody, if you haven't drunk the Kool-Aid or you haven't been part of it, then it, it might sound strange to be in an, an environment where, you know, you're doing something for 10 hours and you're jumping, 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 and you're expending so much energy. One of the things that I've always taken from what he has said is that you have to be in a state like that to break down your actual, like, our hold of what we have, like our subconscious mind and how we hold all of our limiting beliefs, how we hold ourselves, the fears that the, the not real things that we let hold us back, but we need to be in an environment like that, that almost literally does break you down so that you can receive and see what is possible. So I just, I want to know, like you, you shared that part about the fire walk, which I love, like you're amazing storyteller. I love storytelling. Um, this piece though, what was the thing that changed in you when you finished that fire walk that was like, you saw, not only did you see the world differently, you saw what was possible within you differently. Well, it's instantaneous. Everything up until that point, fear meant to me, forget everything and run. Every decision I ever made was based around fear. And so it stole all kinds of things from me. However, after I firewalked, I was like, okay, what else can I do? In other words, if I can walk on coals that are a thousand degrees and be successful at it, what else can I do? So there's the, there's the paradigm, right? There's the shift. So it goes from forget everything and run to face everything and rise. And so, you know, your shoulders come back, your, your, your self-worth, your self-confidence, your self-belief. That's why Tony uses it. He knows. He knows that fireworks is that firewalk is going to cause a shift. That way, the next three days, as you've talked about, Marsha, it, it's the breakdown. It's really taking a step back and saying, okay, what's really going on with me? Who do I want to be? You know, I've I've always believed that, you know, the two greatest moments in your life is the moment you were born and the moment you figure out why. Why are you here? So, so purpose takes on a new role. Um, like it had done for me in AA. My, one of my purposes was, you know, in AA, it, it reads in the preamble, it says, when anyone anywhere reaches out, I want the hand of AA to be there. And for that, I'm responsible. Those men who s- helped save my life, I I owed the group, I owed the system, me, because I'm a great gatekeeper. I love it. When somebody walks through that door new, oh man, I'm there. And same thing here. Um, so I just learned in that moment, um, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, I call it four seconds to changing your life uh, because again, I've watched it. I, you know, when you see somebody standing there looking down at those coals and the apprehension on their face and they're scared to death and all of a sudden there's that little moment of a click and boom, they go. And then when they get to the other end, they're completely new people. I've seen that thousands and thousands and thousands of times. I'm standing right there. 
Tony's the trainer. I'm the guy holding a shovel that's laying the coals, you know? So um, it, it's such a beautiful thing to watch. We've seen it all. We've walked, you know, I walked every, you know, Tony's walked everybody from Oprah to Usher. My kids were, when my kids walked the first time in New York, uh, we walked all the participants and my kids, Tony knew my kids were going to walk that night and they were standing over in the shadows. And as soon as we were all done, he waved them over. And uh, here comes my daughter. She's six years old. Here comes my son. Right. And um, Tony took her by the hand and she's six. And I took her by the other hand and we walked her. Um, There's it's it's you can't describe what that's like to watch your child do something so magnificent. And then, and then here comes Davy. Here comes my son. Here comes Davy Jr. And he's nine. And Tony, Tony looked at him and he said, "I love you, and I love your daddy. Go." And so, and so there it was. So I knew that early on in my first firewalk, there was something super, super magical about that, especially that next day because I watched the transformation for thousands of people. And so. Um, you know, what happened from there, right? 2003, when I took over, we went into 2005. 2005, we went to London and we set the world record. So we firewalked uh, 12,300 people. Now, I want to I be very clear. Guinness Book of Work Records was not there. They did not record it. I say it's a world record because to my knowledge, it is. There's nowhere else in the world anybody's ever firewalked 12,000 people. No. Other than maybe a Tony Robbins seminar, right? Um, that was in 05. And then in 014, I'm driving down the road. And uh, this, this, this is just further proof of what was going on in my life and how powerful this experience is because Google's calling me. And they want to know, hey, are you the Dave Albin that does the firewalks for Tony Robbins? Yeah. What's going on? What's up? Well, if you're not under any contractual obligation or non-compete, we'd like to talk to you about hiring you. Okay, well, homeboy's a free agent. What you got going? Well, we have a we have an event going. We have 148 executives. They went through a nine month curriculum. They're going to graduate. And we want to firewalk it just to anchor it in. And I said, Well, you're doing this during the day? Yes. Well, we can't do it during the day. It's a safety issue. I can't see the color of the coals, and I need to be able to see that. Tell you what, we could do though. We could do a glass walk. A glass walk. You walk it on broken glass? Yeah. Ooh, tell us about that. <laughs> and so I did. And so that was my first event as Firewalk Production. I uh, did two events for Google. And when I was with Google, they told me, they said, look, you're the man. You're the guy. You can create experiences that are absolutely life-changing. And you're a sitting duck for corporate America. Because a lot of what they do doesn't change anybody's life. You know, they go on corporate events and they go golfing and everybody hates it because John wins the damn tournament every time. Uh, you know, they go on scavenger hunts or they play Jeopardy or, you know what I mean? There's nothing. And you can sit and listen to somebody on stage all day long. Doesn't mean it's going to change their life. I mean, it just doesn't, right? Navy SEALs don't become SEALs by sitting in a classroom. I know that's part of it, but where they become SEALs is in the water swimming with sharks. And we know this, right? Every, most people in the personal development industry knows what doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. It's not going to happen. So there I was, the pinnacle of my, my life and my career. And so after, you know, in 2014, I retired from Tony's company. 
uh, which was phenomenal. We had we sat in the green room and talked for a couple of hours. Uh, beautiful conversation. We laughed, cried. You know, I was with the guy for almost twenty years. So you know, I was with him at nine eleven. My kids. I mean, you know what? What a friendship. What a what a relationship I had with the man. And he treated me and my family like gold. Uh, and then shortly after Google, I'm at NASA. <laughs> then I'm at Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, Remax. Heineken, Microsoft, YMCA, the EO organization. You know, it just, it, it snowballed and pretty much all organically. And, um, you know, so Firewalk Productions was born in 2014 and no pun intended, but we've been going hot and heavy every since. <laughs> I figured there's going to have to be something in there. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I absolutely love this. I love, thank you. So like for everything that you've shared, I mean, I think sometimes we look at how far we've come and it's like, wow, like I can't believe how the ducks lined up and how things worked, even though at the time it might not have been very clear, right? Like we don't know the how we never know the how that's the, that's the weirdest thing about humans. We want to know the how, and we hold on to it. And then I always stop and say to, to people like, Think of something that happened in your life that didn't work anything according to plan, but worked out like incredibly well. And they're like, this, 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 this. And I'm like, okay, so why do you need to know the how? All of it. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, at the end of the day, everything is divine. Um, You know, the call from Google is divine. You know, getting sober is divine. Um, You know, when I was, when I was born, I was born to a single mom. And, um, and two months before I was born, my biological father, uh, he'd hurt his head somehow in the war. He was a pilot. And um, he complained about pain all the time. He complained that he didn't know how much longer he could take it. And two months before I'm born, um, dad told mom he was going to the grocery store. And we never saw or heard from him again. Wow. So now here's my mom, right, as, working as a server uh, at the Roosevelt Hotel in, Hosp- in Hollywood. She's got two other boys. I'm the third. We've got another cousin and her mother, my grandmother, all living in a one-bedroom apartment. And so by the time I was five, she couldn't do it. She couldn't make ends meet. She couldn't feed me. So she did a super, super loving thing. She she asked her sister to adopt me, and she did. So I moved from Hollywood to Long Beach. And, and so Bob and Pat Albin raised me. Bob was a career military officer. He was highly decorated in World War II, right? So I come from that generation of, of that, you know, my parents' generation, which I, I easily say is the greatest generation and the bravest and most courageous generation of all time. Why? Because without them, the world ends. Every single man that was in America that could fight was fighting a war. My dad was in Europe fighting the Nazis. My dad, my buddy's best friend, my best friend in life, his dad was in the Navy in Pearl Harbor. So all the men were overseas fighting. Well, guess what all the women were doing? They were doing everything. That's what that generation of women showed the world. We could do anything. We could build Jeeps, trucks, ammunition. My mom was known as Rosie the Riveter. She worked for McDonnell Douglas. She built airplanes. And without the women doing all that, we would have lost the war. There's no doubt about it. So my parents (laughs) weren't exactly the type of people that, plus they grew up in the Depression. So they knew they were resourceful. If something broke, they fixed it. You didn't go buy a new one. You didn't have the money. Mm -hmm. My mom was the oldest of eight kids, the one that raised me, Pat Albin. 
my biological mother was the youngest of the eight kids. And so, you know, they lived on a farm. What did you do every day? You got up and you plowed the fields and you sewed your clothes and, you know, you chopped wood. You did everything you needed to do to stay alive on top of the depression. So my mom was hardworking. You know, my bio, all of them were. Uh, they, they weren't afraid of hard work. It's just that, you know, that job she had as a server at the Roosevelt Hotel wasn't enough to feed me. So that's the generation I came up, I grew up with. And so I, I have kind of a different belief system as a baby boomer uh, when it comes to certain things. Um, so, so the bottom line was, again, you know, uh, I just happened to be the guy that went to a firewalk who said, hell no, I'm not doing it, to, okay, I got a little help, some encouragement. I walked the fire, and it was completely trans. It was a transformation unlike no other. But that happens all the time in his seminars. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, it does. You you said something earlier. It's like literally how your belief in yourself, like what's possible, can change in four seconds. I think the average human yeah. thinks it's so far away. Right. It's yeah, so it's an far illusion. Away. Yeah. I got to do this. I got to do that. Yeah. You know what? <clears throat> when I buy that house, I'll be happy. If you have to put them, if you, you are living from the outside in, you're going to be miserable. And I don't care how much money you have. I've been around Tony for a long time. I've been around all kinds of multimillionaires and billionaires and, and you know, entertainers and actors and actresses and rock stars and, and professional athletes and Olympians, all of them. I mean, they're like right there in the green room and I'm there, right? I've been around them. And the bottom line is that unless they learn to live from the inside out, they're going to struggle, right? Because the bottom line is that if you achieve at a high level and you're moving up the ladder achievement, you better reach down and grab fulfillment and pull it up with you. Because if you don't, you'll fail. Because I talk to entrepreneurs all the time. You know, one of my clients is the EO organization, right? And they've got 200 chapters around the world. They're all entrepreneurs. They're all multimillionaires. You can't even get into EO unless you show your financials for three years and you've grossed at least a million dollars a year. You don't even, you can't even get in. And so one of the things I tell them when I talk to them is all the time, as I said, you know, let me tell you what's not going to happen in your in your world, in your life. You're not going to get to the end and go, wow, I wish I'd have spent more time making money and less time with my family. It could sure go the other way. So again, you want to achieve, great. Just focus on a, on fulfillment and pull it up with you. Tony will tell you, you know, uh, achievement without fulfillment is absolute total failure. It, it is. I love that quote. I'm so glad you said it because that is something that's always spoke to me is just this piece of understanding like what fulfillment was yeah. and what it wasn't. And I know that's something that he's talked about many, many yeah. times, you know, working with millionaires, billionaires that that are miserable, like are absolutely miserable. And so then even people who do not have the financial means of some people that they might look up to put money on this pedestal that money is going to fix it. Money is going to fix it. And it doesn't, it doesn't because that fulfillment comes from within. And I often say you might achieve this goal that you have, but without working on the inner fulfillment, I guarantee you, you'll self-sabotage that and blow it. You'll never, you'll never hold it because you haven't grown into the version that can hold that. And I also believe deep down in the fact of it's not about you climbing the ladder. It's about who, how many can you bring with you? with you? What can you do with that? And how can you make a difference? And just from listening to you and your your fire that you have, and I love, <laughs> you see how smooth, eh? And your fire that you have and you love. 
what does fulfillment mean to you now compared to, you know, 30 years ago? Just choose gratitude. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the, yeah, choose gratitude. Um, uh, cause the bottom line is that fear and gratitude cannot occupy the same space at the same time. It's not going to happen. I'll give you an example. Just happened to me in my life. Right. And that was, uh, my daughter who's now 27, two grandkids. She lived 20 minutes away from me and she's been within 20 minutes of, with, from me or, or with me for 27 years. Well, she just moved to Texas. So now she's two days away from me because I live up on the Appalachian mountains in the Northwestern part of the state of North Carolina. And we live up here and it's spectacular. It's majestic. And, and so again, she's got, you know, two grandkids, a wonderful man in her life. They're, they're getting married. And, you know, the opportunity in Texas is 10 times what it is here. And so now I can't go down 20 minutes away, grab my grandson and bring him home for the weekend and hang out with him. He's two days away. That's hard. And guess what? Good. It's supposed to be hard. And I'm feeling it. And I'm supposed to feel it. Because it gives you contrast, and you need contrast. So now what? Okay, Grandpa, get it figured out, dude. You chose gratitude. Get your happy ass on a plane. It's a two-hour flight, and go visit them. They got a four-bedroom house. One of them's got my name on it. I've already been there, right? I, when they moved, I took two weeks off, and uh, I went and helped them move. And we flew, right? So she had to take their kids and her cats on the plane, uh, which was a lot of fun going through uh, uh, Homeland Security. Uh, so anyway, the bottom line is that it, it, that's life. It's it's what enriches us. You know, it's what makes us feel. Um, and so from my perspective, again, I, I think the two most important times in anybody's life is the moment they're born and the moment you figure out why. And I, like I said before, you know, my my mentor told me, uh, he said, you know, understand something, Dave. Every Every human's got two lives. And the second one starts when you realize you have only one. And I went, okay. Love that quote. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely one. Um, the other question I want to ask you, like, thank you for sharing all that. Cause I, I know so many people avoid the contrast or they resent the contrast. And I often think, you know, sometimes we, life is like a ball, right? Like you, you're going to have times where it feels like, geez, everything is lining up and it is just feeling easy and amazing. And then, but you're on a ball. It's not always going to feel like that. <laughs> And so, you know, don't let the highs get so high and the lows get so low. Like you can celebrate them, but know that they go together and they teach you something. And so that contrast is such a beautiful word and message. One of the other things that really, I think um, I learned from Tony that helped me in ways that I don't think I understood at the time was this notion of thinking like our past challenges and our past versions of ourselves. You know, um, for example, he shares about his childhood and what it was like. Yeah. Because it's, you know, if he did not have parents and his mom the way that he did, he wouldn't have grown up to be the person that he is. Nope. So I think there's like, that was a real switch for me where I went, oh, wait, I can be thankful. And I went, wait, those last challenges, past challenges made me into who I am. And there's some power in that. How do you look back at your past challenges and how do you find gratitude in that they made you who you are today? Well, when mom put me up for adoption at five, when I was 11, um, you know, they adopted me. So I moved from Hollywood to Long Beach and I'm living in a nice house. My dad's an officer in the military. So, you know, we had money, right? So we weren't hurting for anything. 
and he had a heck of a career. So when I was 11 years old, the, the first day of summer, 1964, um, we went camping a lot, right? We had a little trailer that we would pull behind our station wagon and we'd go to Yosemite. Uh, we'd go to Big Bear. We'd go to Lake Arrowhead. We'd go to Lake Havasu. We were all over Southern California, Northern California camping. Well, the first day of summer, right? 1964, Pat comes, gets me. My mom comes and gets me because David come in the kitchen. We need to talk to you. So I'm thinking I'm going in there. They're going to tell me, you know, where we're going to go camping. And I'm going to say, can I take, you know, one of my friends with me? Cause we did that a lot. And she's, we're sitting there and she puts her hand on my hand, on my arm, and she's got tears in her eyes. And she said, David, what we need to tell you this morning is we're not your parents. Well, what? what? What does that mean? That's like taking somebody outside, the sky's blue, and you go, sky's not blue. Well, it looks pretty blue to me. You've been my parents for the last six years. What are you even talking about? So she went on to say, and by the way, you were adopted when you, you were five. And your Aunt Dean? Yeah. That's that's your mom. She's your biological mother. And I remember thinking, I don't even like her, <laughs> right? And you know why? Because every time she was around me, she wanted to cuddle me. She wanted to hold me. She wanted to touch me. She wanted to kiss me. And and, and not in an inappropriate way. You know, no, no, just, but I was her son. Of course she did. She only got to see me once in a while, right? So when she, she just took took advantage of the of the moment and wanted to be around me. And so... You know, um, and, and to, to your point, to your, to your question, I never, ever saw a picture of my dad. Not, nothing. Uh, in fact, when my, when my biological mother got sick, we were living on a farm in Virginia in the Shenandoah Valley with the kids and, the, and my wife. And, and we brought mom there. And after she passed, I found a book. And it was a book on pilots. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to see a picture of my dad for the first time. So needless to say, I'm pretty excited because I've got his name on my certificate of life birth, right? I know his name, Jonathan Eisler. And so I look through that book, nothing. And I'm like, my wife, Stacia, and I go, Stacia, would you look through that book for me and see if you can find dad? She's really good at this kind of stuff. She goes, David, I didn't see him. We, we, we went through that book, which seemed like, I don't know, multiple times. He's not in there. And I thought, what's she doing with that book? Well, I did two things. One is once I got sober later in the years, um, I, uh, I just made peace with it. I, I, I was like, you know, my dad's a good guy. He was hurting. I don't know the physical pain. I wasn't there. And, and, and he did what he had to do. And he, and he, and he, and he brought life into me. I'm not here because of me. I'm here because of him. Right. And so one night, so I just chose gratitude again. I choose gratitude all the time. <laughs> and so because I made peace with the fact that I'll never see my dad ever. No pictures, nothing. Um, I'm out to dinner with my son. And we're over here in Boone, North Carolina. We're at Mike's Seafood. And we're sitting there. And when I go out to dinner, I take the server and I'm, I just change their life. <laughs> you know, my mom was a server and, and how important it is and how great they are. And, you know, yes, you can give them money. And I do. But I treat them with real love and kindness and respect and talk to them and storytell and this kind of a thing. So that's what we're doing. And we're eating. And all of a sudden, I, I look up at Davey and, and I look back down and all of a sudden, I it dawns on me and I go, oh, my gosh. I'm having dinner with my dad's grandson. There he is right there in front of me. And that moment was so magical to me. And of course, my son's looking at me going, Dad, are you okay? okay? Are you good? 
Because, you know, sometimes I go into restaurants and make a scene in a really great way. So he thinks that's what's coming, right? Um, and I'm like, no, Davey, I just had this incredible moment of clarity is that I saw my dad in you. And he looked at me like, oh, wow, that's pretty deep, dad. But, the, but what's interesting, the benefit of choosing gratitude. Because had I not made peace with my biological father and been okay, with him committing suicide. And I don't know that he did anyway. We're pretty sure he did because he never showed up and he complained about the pain, but he never showed up again. So whatever reason he left, he left, right? Whether he left permanently this world or not, we're, I, I can't confirm because I don't know. We never found that out. But the bottom line is magic happens when you choose the right attitude. State management is everything. And you know, you said something earlier, Marshall, I want to address, and that is, um, I remember learning one time, I was a football coach, a college football coach, and they had a game and they were totally underrated. The other team was favored by like 27 points, right? So they knew they were going to get their butts whipped. And so they went in there and they won, <laughs> right? And they all, and they come back and they're high, right? The whole team's high, the whole school, the community, everybody's like, oh my God, we beat so-and-so, right? Well, the following week, they were the... You know, they went in and the other team was a huge underdog and they lost. And so the coach said, hmm, you know, here's an interesting distinction about life. Life is never as good as it seems. Life is never as bad as it seems. Reality is somewhere in the middle. And something AA taught me is this. This too shall pass. I don't care how good things are going. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. Guess what? This too shall pass. Everything going really bad. You think the whole world's caving in on you? This too shall pass. Wait it out. Mm, thank you for sharing that. That is actually, I saved a reel, and I think it's Tom Hanks, and he's talking at a round table. And you know which one I'm talking about? I literally go back to that one regularly. Yep. Robert De Niro <laughs> sitting there. Yep. Uh, um, who else is at that table? I can see them. Um, it's an incredible clip. Yeah, it's, it's great. And that's what he said. This too shall pass, Tom says. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. And I enjoy that too. Um, I met Rita Wilson. Rita was at an event, a Tony event, and I got to meet his wife. And Tom wasn't there, but Rita was there. And uh, I had a really cool, I was in security, right? So I was in charge of watching over her at, at the event. And she had some conversations about Tom and Forrest Gump and and and, and, some, and some of some of that. So yeah, it was really interesting. So yeah, my choose gratitude and, um, you know, get clear. The other thing I would add is don't negotiate with yourself. Stop negotiating with yourself. Well, I'm just going to have two beers and then you have five. Uh, I'm going to get up at six o'clock this morning. And when the alarm goes off, you go, well, you know, I'm just going to sleep another 15 minutes, knock that shit off. Yep. Don't do it because that's a really bad sign. You, know, you say you're going to get up at six o'clock in the morning, then get your happy ass out of bed and do it. Um, uh, just stop negotiating with yourself. Um, and you'll find that that opens you up to getting the things done that you setting up the rituals and setting up, you know, uh, the things you want to do every day. You say you're going to get up at six, get up at six. You say you're going to make your bed every morning, make your bed. You say you're going to take that cold shower in the morning, take your cold shower. Um, you say you're going to read 10 minutes in a good book. That's one thing I get asked all the time on the podcast. Dave, what's one tip you can give them? That will change your life. Read 10 pages in a good book every single day and develop a habit and do it day in and day out. Because here's what will happen. 
What's it take to become a rock star? What's it take to become magnificent at anything? 10,000 hours. Yeah, I love that book. It's the Outsider's book by anybody. Like He refers to it, Malcolm Gladwell does, um, in The Outsiders. And I mean, I know it's not his role, but he talks about it in the sense of the 10,000 hours. And it really does remind you. People say, like, I can't do what you do. Because you make that look easier. I don't have that in you. And I'm like, it's 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 just a rule of ours. You just have to keep going. Well, and, and Gladwell talks a little bit about it in the tipping point as well. Um, well, and the interesting thing was, I remember seeing a uh, an interview one time with uh, Rick Derringer. And Rick Derringer at the time was one of the top 10 guitar players in the world. And so there's just some young uh, uh, interviewee, uh, um, and he's with uh, Rolling Stone, I believe. And so he's like, you know, a little timid. And so he asked, uh, he asked Derringer, he says, so tell, you know, Rick, you're one of the top 10 guitar players in the world. And, and I'm, and, and I'd love to ask you, you know, how did you get to be so good? And, and without even flinching, Derringer goes, do you really want to know? Or are you just asking? And he goes, well, no, we really like to know. And he goes, it's real simple. It's simple. You practice every day until your fingers bleed. <laughs> Right. Um, That's really funny. Do you really want to know? Like it's actually not that complicated. It's not. It's it's not. 10,000 hours, dude. Every day. I never said no. I practiced when I didn't want to. I practiced when I didn't want to get out of bed. I practiced when I was sick. I practiced when I had my friends were out doing other things. I practiced, practiced, practiced. So, you know, you got to choose your pain. The pain of not accomplishing it or the pain of accomplishing it. Pick your pick, pick your pain. Because it's going to be one or the other. You know, I do something, Marcia, you'll love this. I do this at my events. You know, when people hire me to come in and create the Firewalk experience and to create the paradigm shift for their companies and their people, uh, I put a picture on the screen behind me and I'll talk for about a half an hour with this picture of this guy standing on a mountain. And the guy's name is Eric Weinmeyer. Well, it's pretty obvious where he's standing. And so eventually after I talk for 30 minutes, I'll say, hey, who, by the way here, who can uh, tell me uh, where this gentleman behind me is standing? And inevitably, somebody always says, Mount Everest. You're correct. So I want to tell you something about this guy. He's climbed the seven highest mountains on Earth, including Everest. Okay? So he's not. he just didn't summit Everest. He summited seven highest mountains on this planet. Put him on a mountain bike, that boy can tear it up. Put him in a kayak, he could probably navigate any river in the world. But here's something that you need to know about uh, Eric that I think you'll find very interesting so you can apply it in your life. He's blind. So I don't want to hear your shit. Anything you say that you've told yourself you can't do is probably bullshit. It's a lie. Especially... If you use the ultimate lie, which is, I don't have time. <laughs> Crap. The truth. We have time for anything we're committed to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my son taught me that one at, at a young age. He taught me that one. It was a hard lesson for dad. Came in one day, I'm in the office, I'm working. And he said, hey, dad, can we go play catch? And I said, yeah, Davey, I'm really busy right now. I, you know, I'll come play later. Okay, dad. He leaves. Didn't do it. You don't tell a kid that you're going to do it and then don't do it. You're setting your kids up for failure. Came back and I think it was the day later. Hey, dad. Hey, can we come play catch? He's probably seven, eight years old. Um, oh, yeah, Davey, let me finish up my work and we'll do it. Okay, dad. 
Didn't happen. Third day. Comes in. Hey, Dad, can we play catch? Yeah, David, let me finish it. You said that yesterday, Dad. And it just went. And I remember thinking, don't you ever do that again to your son. You don't bring a young man. He's looking up to you for everything. And look what you just taught him. So you better fix it. <laughs> fix it now and fix it young. And of course we did. You know, we, you know, my son and I have this unbelievable, and my daughter, I have the most beautiful relationship with my kids That's and the grandkids. Awesome. Um, because they, they know dad's human. They saw me make mistakes, but they also saw me after how I reacted after I made the mistakes, reacted after I did certain things. And because, you know, it's really easy to um, act out, you know, when everything's going great in your life. You want to know the true essence of a man? Watch how he acts in times of trials and tribulations. Yeah. Then you get the true essence of what the man's all about. Um, and so, you know, again, it's we, we this life, man, it's short. <laughs> it's real short. Um, and so I would say, you know, why don't people get what they want in life? I had I, that was asking me. He says, Dave, why don't people get what they want in life? And I said, Well, typically, there's a story you tell yourself of why you why you can't have it. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the education. I don't have the background. I'm not old enough. I'm too old. I'm too young. Whatever. So you're man, you're making it up. Every single thing that's ever happened in my life, your listeners' life, in your life, you created a story about it, no matter how bad it was or how good it was. I saw a documentary one time of these two brothers. And one of them was in prison, and and the other one had this beautiful life, beautiful house, kids, all of it, and they were both extremely sexually abused. Uh, they were beat, they were left in an attic, they weren't fed. I mean, they were really, really, really abused, super, super, super bad. This guy went to prison. This guy created an extraordinary life, and here's what they told themselves: This guy said, "If you were treated the way I was treated, this is where you end up as a prison." The other one said, hey, you know, if you were treated as badly as I was, what else could you do but become an amazing father and husband and businessman? Same exact thing happened to him. Mm -hmm. So you are your story. So create a masterpiece. Oh, God, I love that you went there because that is actually a I've I've referred. I don't even know what that documentary is. I know I've seen it. I know I've I've heard the story, but I've referred to it many times. Like you could take two people who have walked through the exact same circumstances, same challenges, same pain. And they can look at their story completely differently and they can create their circumstances very differently. 100%. And oftentimes, like I'm I'm so much about the story, right? And sharing stories, sharing difficult stories, doing things like this in this podcast. But the one thing that I really come back to a lot is that the story is the story is the story. It's the facts. The story is not the problem. What we tell ourselves about yeah. the story, 100%. what we make the story mean about ourselves, that's the problem. Like that's the narrative of what we make of the story. That's the problem. So it's not the story. It's what you tell yourself about the story. Victor Frankl told us, taught us that in Man's Search for Meaning. If you haven't read the book, it's not an easy read. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to warn you. But no. man, will you take away some takeaways from it? Uh, Victor Frankl was in Auschwitz, and um, he, he, you know, his family was was killed. They murdered him. Uh, you know, and you're 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 in Auschwitz, so you know you don't have clothes. It's cold. You're naked. They don't feed you. They take everything from you. And every single day, you don't know whether you're going to go to the chamber. So you're living with that every single second of your life, and they take everything from you except. Frankel fin figured out one thing. 
There's one thing you can't take from me, my attitude. I have to relinquish that. I have to give that up. And he chose not to do it. And so what did he do? How did he get out? The way he got out of there was he said, someone has to tell this story. And so what did he develop? Purpose. That's a purpose-driven life. When you find that purpose and you get out there and you add passion and determination and consistency to it, you can do anything you want. Yeah. Let that land and replay that again if you're listening to this, because that's that's really the beautiful thing. And something that definitely I was inspired to be able to interview you today is because I don't like to just interview people who've walked through difficult stories. I am super passionate about speaking to people who've walked through the story and are doing something with it. And that's a fuel for them. And that's like literally what I feel like it is for you. So I would love to, can you share with everyone where they can reach out, where they can connect, where they can follow you? I know you've been on a lot of podcasts this past year too. So <laughs> yeah, we've been on a couple. We, we exceeded a hundred and now I stopped counting, um, uh, which is really great. I had no idea. Um, you know, I, I would have never guessed in a million years, Marcia, that, um, we would be on over 100 podcasts since April. Uh, but uh, thanks for asking. Yeah, you can find me at, uh, you can find us, I should say, at firewalkadventures.com. Uh, it's all one word. Everything's there. So typically, there's a couple things. You know, typically people hire us one of three reasons. One, there's a total meltdown in the company. They're coming unglued. There's ascension. They're arguing about masks. They're arguing about vaccines are arguing about i love donald trump i hate donald trump oh shut up already you're going to destroy your company if you don't come together you can't produce at a high level if you pissed off at your it's your co-worker it's got to stop and a ceo knows that they got to fix it so they hire me you know in that situation uh then they also hire me when things are kind of mediocre things aren't really good but they're not really bad uh, but they're going to, you know, they want to go up. So they bring me in the other time. And I really love it when people hire me, this is when things are really good and they're kicking butt, right? They want to take it up to the, to the next level. You know, one of the things that I did other than the firewalk, right? I created, I took the firewalk and, and I, I took it to the next level and Tony doesn't really, well, I don't know that he even thought about this or he really has time to do what I do. And I bring in a martial arts ex experience to the firewalk. So we do what's called the board break, right? Real simple. Anybody that's been in martial arts, if you graduate from one belt to another, you're probably going to break a board. <laughs> you're either going to break it with your hand or your elbow or, you know, your knee or your foot, whatever, to graduate, right? Well, I that's what we do. So we bring in the board break, and here's what we do. We have them write something on front of the board they want to move towards. We have them write something on back of the board that they need to move away from. And then I have them write anybody's name on the board that they're in conflict with. So if reconciliation or forgiveness is part of that relationship, that ends tonight. Stop carrying that shit around. It does not serve you. In fact, it takes away from your ability to live your best life. So it ends tonight. And then to create the rite of passage, the ancestral side of the firewalk, right? Take it back, you know, a thousand years. We have them write anybody's name on the board that they've lost. So it brings that love and energy. It could be a grandmother, grandfather, you know, whoever in that ancestral part. And then so then we take them outside and they break the board. We walk them in a circle. They do the fire walk. We circle them back. They throw the board into the fire. 
And then I and then to close it down and really bring it in, because um, I want to connect everybody to see if we can get their hearts to beat at the same time as a unit, collectively. We do what I call the whole pono pono heart hug, and what I basically do is I put people in an embrace in a hugging position. Except it's the opposite of what you normally do. Normally we go this way. Nope, we're going to go this way. I want my heart on top of your heart, and then you close your eye. I have them close their eyes. And I have them take three cleansing breaths. And so nice, deep, diaphragmic breath, lots of oxygen into the lungs. Hold it, hold it, hold it. They exhale. I have them do it again. And so typically what happens when they go into that second breath, they take in all that oxygen or they exhale, their hearts calibrate. So they start beating at the same time. And then there's, so then there's a third breath on top of that. And I'll have them do that. I'm watching the crowd, kind of watching how they're settling in together and how they come together. And then so I may have them do that five, six, seven times. It just depends. And so once you get everything going like that, everybody's, you know, it, it's just, it's a it's one of the most beautiful things you could ever imagine and watch. And so it connects them at such a powerful, amazing, loving level. That Monday when they all go back to work, right? Uh, they're a whole different group of individuals. So we do that. And then finally, the other thing that I created last year, which is called the Dave Alvin Firewalk Academy. That way people come to me and I train them. So if a company's got somebody they want to send HR, they, 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 they come to me and I train them. I train them on all these experiences, the firewalk, the board break, the arrow break, the glass walk, the rebar, all these different experiences, and they get to go back and facilitate in their own company. Same thing with entrepreneurs and business owners. They come to my academy, do the same thing, except they own the company. They're going to go back and, and facilitate to their people. And then finally, I get a lot of trainers and a lot of coaches, and they come to me. In fact, the next academy is October. Uh, we bring them up here to the uh, Appalachian Mountains. Uh, the event is sold out. And uh, so we're really excited because it's 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 unlike anything. These guys come up, these men and women coming up here, and they have the time of their life. They learn these really incredible, life-changing, uh, you know, corporate team building extraordinaires is what I create. And then they get to go back. And so that helps leave uh, the legacy as, as well. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, for anybody who heard a big bang in the background, that was me getting my board <laughs> to show. Like, I went through this. I've, I've done the board break a number of times, but I did this in an event last year, um, and the board was much thicker than what it looks. Um, <laughs> it doesn't look... But I had a full-on... Like, I've never had a reaction like that to breaking a board. And it was like, I was completely different after the end of, after that moment. And I think that's the the piece. I believe personal development can really change your life. It really can. And it requires actual action, not yeah. just learning. I think that's a different, that is something that a lot of people might not see or understand. You can listen yeah. to podcasts, you can listen to YouTube videos, you can do the meditations, you can do, which is amazing. It's amazing. Absolutely. It's amazing. I'm not taking away from any of that, but it's how are you implementing it? Like, what are you actually doing? Are you actually like becoming a better version of yourself when you have those challenges, when you're in those moments that maybe feel more difficult, those tools are helping you. So I love everything that you're doing. I really, really do. Well, thank you. And uh, we're having a whole lot of fun doing it. And um, how much longer? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm 69 years old. 
Mm-hmm. I'm on, I'm, I take pretty good care of myself mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I'm on zero medications. So Love a that. big, so a big hell no to big pharma. I'm not interested and uh, I'm going to take care of myself nutritionally and, and I live up in the Appalachian Mountains, so I'm breathing really, really clean air. And I've got mountain spring water <laughs> coming into my cabin. So I'm wa- I'm drinking and, and bathing in mountain spring water, live water. So uh, that's my choice. I, you know, I, I, I made a decision because I know how important water is. So, yeah, I love it. You know, so... Uh, I, I don't take it lightly. When a, when a company hires me, uh, we're you know I bring my A game. Uh, next week I'm headed back to MIT in Boston. Got a client there at the Indicott House, uh, so we're going to do a, a fire walk for them, uh, for one of their clients who's now going to become one of my clients. Come back, we'll do the academy, and then we've got several other events uh, lined up between uh, now mm-hmm. and next year. So, well, um, I. Honestly, I'm so grateful for your time, for everything you shared, for how you poured into the audience and listeners. Honestly, there was so much value here for you, for everyone. Um, and I'm grateful our paths have crossed. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I do have one more question for you, though. Sure, of course. What lesson in life are you most grateful for? Um, gosh, that's a hard one because there's been so many. There's been so many breakdowns. Um, I, I think it really comes down to uh, understanding how powerful um, state management is. And if you want to change your life, change your story. Don't embellish. Um, just and 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 be okay with telling your story. Yeah, I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. I, I spent a good portion of my life uh, trying to kill myself, uh, but I found a way out. And the way I found a way out is I said, "Okay, to hell." I think one of the most intelligent things any human can do. And I'll leave it with this. And that is ask for help. It takes guts. And, you know, because we, we make up all this stuff in our mind. Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to bother Marsha. She's really busy. You know that? No, man, stop. You have no idea what it's like to be on the other end. Um, and again, that's why I love being a gatekeeper at AA. Knowing that that human being that walked through that door right now, I'm, I could very well say something that's going to save their life. And I save their life. What happens? I firewalked a half a million people. How many lives have been changed? It's the ripple. That one guy that asked me the question, hey, wouldn't you like, wouldn't you at least like to watch? Right? Think about that guy for a minute. We don't know who he is. But without him, Dave Albin isn't out here changing lives and doing what I do. So um, I'll leave one thing. And I, I'm, this is something you guys can do. You want to take an act and you want to, you want to see how powerful it is to ask for help and or be part of that process. The next time you go into Walmart or Lowe's or Home Depot and the Girl Scouts are selling their cookies, do this. Walk up to the den mother and, and watch the girls, right? Because they're selling Girl Scout cookies. They're all happy. And when you're, you, know, you sell one box or two boxes, they're giggling like crazy, right? And so they're, 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 it's such a memorable thing for them, right? Very powerful lessons within that moment of them selling Girl Scout cookies. And so... I walk up to the den mother and I look at the girls and I'll make I say, Hey, how's sales? How's it going girls? Oh, it's good. You know, thank you. And they're all sweet. Right. And I walk up to the den mother and I said, look, um, I want to buy a hundred dollars worth of cookies. And when you say that a lot of times the girl, the girls go, Oh, <gasps> right. I said, but, um, it, it, it comes with a condition and, and the mother will say, well, okay. So what's the condition? 
and says, I don't want the cookies. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'll buy $100 worth of cookies. And I want you to take the girls. And I want you to call a local uh, old folks home. And I want you to talk to the, the director and find out if there's anybody in that home that doesn't get any uh, visits. They've been left there to die. So what I'm asking you to do is take the cookies, take the girls, get them to ask some questions. You know what I mean? Teach okay. them five or six, seven questions, right? To ask, hey, how, hi, many, where, you know, where did you grow up? Were you married? Did you have kids? What did you do for a You know what I mean? Just take, so they can talk and, and take those cookies and let those girls go talk to those older people and learn from their wisdom and, and, and give them the cookies and, and, and create the magical moments um, that that experiences will do. And with that, I'm out. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for being here. Honestly, I've loved this conversation. Thanks, Marcia. Let's do it again. Absolutely. You got it. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life. Mm -hmm.